0: Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia AudioCast. This week we have part two of the Secret Agent X story, The Fear Merchants, originally published in March 1936. It was written by Paul Chadwick under the pseudonym Brandt House. Chadwick was the first writer for Secret Agent X and wrote 14 of the Secret Agent's adventures. Secret Agent X ran for a total of 41 issues from 1934 to 1939. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. If you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books and our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show. Chapter 4. Doom's Disguise The secret agent's disguised face looked impassive with a voice of the brittle cicado of a crackling whip. "'Keep quiet, Monkford. Look pleasant. Have your man drive on.' In spite of the implied threat in the agent's voice and gun, Matthew Monkford opened his mouth to yell. He never made it. The agent's forefinger tensed the trigger guard. He raised the gun muzzle slightly, and a jet of vapor spurted out. It passed between Monkford's open lips. With a shuddering gasp, the insurance company head fought for breath, but the battle lasted only a second. His indrawn breath had sucked the vapor deep in his lungs. His eyes began to glaze. His head fell forward. In a moment, he was swaying inertly as a sack of grain.' The agent turned his attention to the chauffeur up front. With a quick movement, he shoved back the sliding window that separated the driving compartment from the rear. The chauffeur had turned his head and glimpsed what had happened to his master. His mouth hung slack. His eyes were bulging and his hands began to wobble on the wheel. The big car gave a dangerous lurch toward the curb. X steadied the man's trembling with the whiplash of fear. Keep going, straight ahead. Pretend you haven't noticed anything or- The agent brought his gun around till its black muzzle centered on the chauffeur's temple. The chauffeur froze into rigidity and the car rolled on. X knew the man guessed that he had shot Monkford with a silenced gun. The chauffeur believed that his own murder impended if he didn't obey. This was what X wanted. Keeping his gun hand thrust through the partition window, he opened another to the limousine side to let the gas escape. He had held his breath to keep from being overcome himself. The air inside was stifling. Night wind flicked the vapor out. He breathed deeply, held Monkford's swaying body with his arm. His quick mind had counted on psychology to help him. The people who passed would be interested in the fire, not in a speeding limousine. No one along the street had witnessed the drama that had taken place. Four blocks went by before the agent said, Turn right. The chauffeur obeyed and the big car slid down a side street where the lights were dimmer. The agent waited until they were in the center of the block where shadows were heavy. He spoke again. Stop here. As the car stopped, X pressed the trigger of his gas gun a second time. He slammed the partition window shut, saw the chauffeur choke and fall forward over the wheel. X leaped to the running board. When he opened the driver's door, the chauffeur also was inert. X pulled him over the vacant side of the seat. He grabbed the man's hat, set it on his own head, and climbed it under the wheel. He thrust the man's body down out of sight, then threw in the clutch and sent the car forward. The limousine gathered speed. In five minutes, the scene of the fire and ruthless murders was far behind. X threaded his way through the darkest streets. He crossed a wide avenue, turned left, and drove till he had almost reached the city limits. Suddenly, he slowed the big car and turned it into a drive. He stopped when the doors of a garage barred the way. A small, round lens, like a single eye, gleamed in their center. The agent flashed the car's headlights on and off four times in measured but uneven timing. The doors rolled back as a selenium cell, acting on an automatic mechanism, operated their hinges. They closed again as Zex drove the big car inside. He shut off the motor, climbed out. As easily as though they were sleeping children, he carried the two unconscious men, one after another, through a long covered passage at the back of the garage into a shuttered house. There was a chamber here in which no light from the street ever entered. He laid the chauffeur on a sofa, propped Monkford up in a comfortable chair, but there was a head brace on the back of it like in a dentist's office. X clamped this on the insurance man studied his face. He switched on a mercury vapor lamp, focused his rays on Monkford's still features. He'd already know that Monkford was close to his own size and build. The man's clothes, X believed, would fit him. Quickly, deftly, the agent set to work. First, he stripped his own disguise off, removing the plastic material he had worn at the scene of the fire. Now, for a minute or two, he appeared as he really was, as not even his few closest friends had ever seen him. "'and the face exposed in the weird glow of the mercury-vapor lamp was remarkably youthful for a man "'who had been through so many strange experiences that held character, understanding, power. "'The wide-set eyes had the clarity and brilliance of a forceful, penetrating mind. "'Hawk-like strength dwelt in the curving line of the nose, fighting ruggedness in the chin, "'and there was a combination of kindness, humor, and unflinching determination in the mobile lips. "'When the agent turned to lift a tube of makeup from a table, "'light struck his face at a slant, and he looked suddenly older.' faint lines were revealed across his glowing skin. These were the etched and indelible markings of his many odd adventures. It was a young, old, strangely dynamic face, a face that once seen could never be forgotten. The agent squeezed fresh, volatile plastic substance from a tube. He spread the stuff out with the tips of his powerful fingers that had the strength and delicacy of a sculptors. He began creating Munkerud's features on his own. He transformed himself quickly, as though his hands to the uncanny power of magicians. He made every smallest movement tell. He had a coloring pigment under the last plastic layer until his complexion matched the brick red of Monkford's. He selected a gray toupee, the exact shade of Monkford's, and slipped it over his head. He did not stop until he had duplicated every blemish and wrinkle of the older man. When he ceased his work finally, he was Monkford's double, and now, in the silence of the shutter room, he practiced for a few months the characteristic accents of Monkford as he remembered them. The effect was uncanny. The newly created Monkford seemed to be talking in Monkford's own voice. Exchange closed the insurance man next, taking all his pocket belongings. Thoroughness was impossible Was one of the agent's undeviating principles. When all was ready, he gave both Monkford and his chauffeur an injection of another anesthetic that would keep them unconscious for at least five hours. They must not wake until he returned. The secrets of this room must never be discovered. The agent left Monkford's limousine in the secret garage. No key would open its doors. Their mechanism would only move when the one set of flashing signals was given. He followed dark side streets, walking swiftly for many blocks before he finally hailed a taxi. He gave the address of Monkford's office and told the driver to hurry. The building that housed the Great Eastern Insurance Company was a massive affair. One of several new downtown office buildings, it towered above the block. But with the exception of two uniformed guards, the Great vestibule was deserted. The office had long since closed for the day. The huge edifice was dark. The guards nodded respectfully to the man they thought was Monkford. A single elevator was still running, and this took the agent up to the 15th floor. He saw the lights of the Great Eastern Insurance Company down a long hall and paused. There was a glow behind the frosted windows. Someone was inside. The agent had looked over Monkford's wallet and papers found in his pocket in the cab. He knew that the company which Monkford headed had a secretary and treasurer as well as a president. Either one of the other two might be inside, and there was risk in meeting them, risk always in any disguise the agent might assume, the risk of discovery. Yet in a moment he strode resolutely toward the delighted office. He'd assumed Monkford's disguise for one main purpose, to hear a member of the arsonist group speak on the telephone to make personal contact with the criminals. They would call Monkford surely to gloat and to make new demands. And besides hearing one of the incendiaries speak, X hoped to have a chance to look through Monkford's private papers and see what other big properties the Great Eastern Company had insured. By doing so, getting a line on where the arson ring might strike next, there was a possibility he could forestall them. He opened the front door of the office and stepped inside. A light was burning here, but no one was in evidence. Behind the frosted glass of a door marked secretary, a restless shadow moved. In small letters were the words, W.M. Purcell. The agent stared toward this office. "'then tore the door of Monkford's own office straight ahead. "'That door was dark. "'His heart increased its beat. "'He was inwardly tense, as always, "'when he thought about how to test a new disguise. "'There had not been time to get a complete lineup on Monkford. "'He would have to be careful of his speech. "'He would cover up any slips by acting as if the fire had unnerved him. "'He trod heavily, and the door of Purcell's office flew open. "'Great heavens, Monkford, I just got the report. "'I'm glad you came here so we can talk.' "'The agent looked at Purcell closely. The man showed no signs of doubting his disguise. He was broad-shouldered, red-haired. His gray eyes were not even looking at the agent. The agent spoke carefully and for his voice, weighing each word. I've just come from the fire. Heron, the owner, was there, cursing us. Purcell ran a hand through his stiff red hair. He cursed harshly under his breath. I'm going to get Joe up here. Let's talk the thing over, decide what we ought to do. Right, the agent nodded. Joe meant Joe Rice, the company's treasurer. The name was printed on one of the letterheads in Monkford's pocket. Purcell had accepted him as Monkford, and now he was going to call the company's third official. Purcell dived into a telephone booth and made his call. The agent opened the door of Monkford's office and turned on the light. He peeled off his coat and gloves. He looked about him. It was a handsome office that benefited the president of a company. A huge flat-top desk, a comfortable chair, a safe, a set of files. But the agent did not attempt to go through the files just now. He was content to wait here until the arson ring called. Purcell was back in a moment. Joe's coming right up. They talked for ten minutes about the company's finances until Rice, the treasurer, entered. He was a tall, dark man with a gloomy face. He sat down and lighted up a cigar. X started to speak, but stopped and whirled. A faint, disturbing sound had reached his ears. He took two quick steps forward, paused, for the door of Monkford's office flew open. Like actors in a sinister play, four masked men leaped into the room. They spread, two on one side, two on the other. One of them held a submachine gun. His barrel pointed straight at Purcell, Rice, and the agent. The other three had automatics. More arresting still, two of the mass invaders grasped small round objects in their left-hand fingers. The agent recognized these and caught his breath. They were the walnut missiles that had been dropped at the fire, causing the horrible, bloating death. Chapter 5, Car of Death Cold dread pressed at the agent's heart. The man with the machine gun spoke harshly from behind his mask. None of you guys move! Here, take a look at this! Holding a deadly weapon in his right hand, his butt braced against his shoulder, the machine gunner raised his left and opened the fingers. Clutched between them was a nut-like ball, his slitted eyes swiveled toward the agent. You saw what these things can do a little while back, Mr. Monkford. Start anything, any of you, and we'll use them. You haven't paid up. We just as leave knock you off is not. These pills would make these muggy yours look pretty. Horror tingled the secret agent's spine. He recalled the bloated, hideous faces of the dead firemen he had seen. In all his contact with vicious criminals, he had never heard of a terrorist weapon more ghastly. The masked gunman seemed to sense the impression he was creating. A gloating laugh came from his lips. Tell them about those guys at the fire, Monkford. Tell them how they squalled and how their faces swelled up big as pumpkins. Tell them how they died eating the dirt. If we throw one of these, you'll all be begging for bullets. Let him be a cinch after this. He shook the tiny, sinister missile, and some of the horrible meaning were his reach to Purcell and Rice. Both men turned deathly white. Rice gasped, "'What? What do you want us to do?' "'Get going! Scram out that door, all of you! You're leaving by the back way along with us!' X measured the chances for a quick success. He had won his way out of many desperate situations, one by sheer grit in the face of obstacles a like Gambler's Courage, but he saw that at the moment any attempt to break free would spell suicide. Three automatics were pointed toward him. The machine-gun snout was ready to spread a hail of death in the space of a split second, and the man behind it was holding the sinister missile poised to throw." X broke the spell of tenseness by nodding and heading for the office's rear door. Rice and Purcell followed. They were like men, dazed by a nightmare of fear. The stalking mass figures came close behind them, so close that once the machine gun's barrel prodded X in the back. The gunman had commandeered another elevator. It was the one in the rear of the building used for freight and supplies. While Rice and Purcell and the agent crowded in a corner, one of the mass men operated it, the car sank slowly down the shaft. At the main floor, a harsh whisper spoken by the mass leader ordered them out. Gesturing, menacing guns pointed the way. They obeyed in silence, but close to the building's rear exit, Purcell gave a smothered cry. The agent saw the cause of it, and his jaw tensed in fury. A guard and the building's watchman lay on the floor. Under the glow of the single bulb that burned overhead, their faces looked inhuman. They had the grayish pallor of death, and they were hideously bloated. Grotesque monsters had once been men, their features almost obliterated by the swelling. The man with the machine gun laughed. We bumped them that way because they didn't make no noise. It's what you mugs will get if you make any trouble. Purcell, trembling with fear, spoke in a stricken voice. "'This is horrible. What? Where are we going?' "'You'll find out. You kept a tight hold on your pocketbooks. You wouldn't pay. But with you gone, maybe the stockholders will think different.' "'You mean you're going to kill us prisoners?' A mocking laugh was his only answer. The agent's brain seemed to be on fire. He got the drift of things now. They were being kidnapped. They'd be held somewhere, or perhaps slaughtered later in some secret place.' Neither of the things must happen. The real Monkford would come to in a few hours. He would escape from the house the agent held him. The criminals would learn that they had the wrong man, that Agent X wasn't Monkford, and this was a certain, horrible death for the agent. They would strike him ruthlessly for a meddler as they had the firemen at the burning factory. He was a hopeless prisoner at the moment. An attempt to break now would only jeopardize the lives of Purcell and Rice. They were conducted along a rear court and through a side alley that led to another street. Here a closed seven-passenger car was waiting. It was long and low, blackly sinister as a hearse. It might well become a death car for all of them. The mass leader motioned them with a jerk of his gun and all three entered. The machine gunner and another man with an automatic lowered the two folding seats in the rear. They seated themselves facing their prisoners. The other two armed men got up front. With a low purr of gears, the big car moved forward. Purcell and Rice had slapsed into frozen silence. X sat at the end of the seat silent also. No, Not one of the Mass criminals spoke, but there was deadly precision in all their actions. The car drove as exit room previously that evening. It followed dark streets, rolling at an unhurried pace, almost without noise. Somewhere ahead in the night, a prison chamber or a torture chamber awaited them. Muscles in the secret agent's face nodded beneath his makeup. His disguise of monkford had brought results he had not reckoned with. It threatened to take him entirely out of the fight. His eyes, sharp as a questing hawk's, took note of everything in the car's interior. His mind once again grappled the eye of escape. He still had his gas gun with him, but any attempt to reach inside his coat would be stopped with a stream of bullets. Any quick movement now would bring instant death. He made none, but the fingers of his left hand reached slowly out. Inches away, a cigarette lighter dangled on a flexible cord. It was a small thing upon which to pin hope of life in the presence of death. A small thing, but the agent was a gambler. His face betrayed no hint that he was making a play with doom. His eyes were still now, staring straight before him, staring almost into the wicked muscle of the mass leader's gun. But his fingers still inched forward, slowly as the uncoiling tentacles of a jungle plant. They touched the lighter, caressed it, closed around it. They came back with the same measured caution. A jounce of the car covered the soft click that came when the agent pressed the lighter on. He thrust it far down between the seat cushion and the padded side of the car. His hand came up. He waited. Seconds passed, and from the corner of his eye, he caught the first faint plume of smoke. A moment more and his nostrils detected a rank burning odor. Criss-cross shadows passing the windows made the interior of the car confusing. The masks covering the nose of the killers deadened their sense of smell. All this the agent had taken into account. It wasn't until they passed a corner light that the head of one of the masked men turned. He gave a startled gasp. Smoke was pouring out from the limousine's cushion. His gasps attracted the attention of the leader. The agent had been waiting for this. In the fraction of the second that the masked machine gunner's head moved sideways, the agent made his play. His hand flashed out like a striking snake. He caught the barrel of the gunner and pulled it forward, twisting his body sideways as he did so. The gun exploded with a clattering, shattering roar, lashing bullets into the back of the seat. The machine gunner, keeping a clutch on his weapon, was jerked forward with it. The agent crashed a hard-knuckled fist straight into his face. He swept his right hand out and forward and caught the man who held the automatic on the chin. The stream of bullets that his contracting finger fired hissed in a hot swath of death close to the agent's temple. Purcell and Rice were screaming, swearing. One of the men up front swung in his seat with a shout. He tried to bring the muzzle of the weapon down on the agent's head. Instead, it struck the head of the masked leader whom X shoved forcibly back. Smoke from the burning cushion and the gun muzzles filled the whole interior of the car. In the blinding, thundering confusion, X struck right and left. He was choking himself, eyes smarting and streaming with the fumes. His fist glanced off the back of the driver's head and the man jerked the wheel. The losing swerved toward the curb. Brakes halted with a piercing squeal, but his front fender struck a hydrant and made a tinny crash. As it stopped, X turned the handle of the door and lashed out with his foot. Glass broke as the door flew open. Cold night air swept in. X clutched two human bodies. Percell and Rice, and dragged them with him. "'They hit the pavement together, went down in a heap, bounced up. "'Behind them, an automatic cracked savagely, "'and bullets slapped and screamed at their feet. "'X, running low, led the way into the shadows. "'He ducked toward a doorway, yanking the two men after him, "'while the guns of the killers in the car sought them out. "'He broke for more distant cover as soon as the fusillade had lessened. Percell and Rice ran with streaming faces and whistling breaths. "'When he finally turned a corner, they were close to collapse. "'But the agent didn't let them rest. "'Not till he led them deep into a driveway between two empty houses did he pause.' Then the siren of a police radio cruiser was screaming a dozen blocks away. The shots had aroused the whole neighborhood, and someone had sent in a call. Purcell spoke in a shaking voice. We owe our lives to you, Monk. That, that was the closest shave. You had your nerve with you, put in Rice heavily. We'd have been murdered if it hadn't been for you. X spoke, playing the role of Monkford. His actions the last few minutes had hardly been those of a state insurance man. He must make up for it now. I... Uh, I- I lost my head. I, I It drove me crazy to sit there and have them take us away. You fellas didn't see those murders at the fire. I did. They, they'd have made bloated corpses of us all. Purcell clutched his arm. We've got to do something. You better notify the police. Did either of you get the license number of that car? No, growled Rice savagely. There wasn't a chance to see it. We can't depend on the police now. Our lives won't be safe a minute till those criminals are caught. They may try to kidnap us again. "'Let's go to my place and talk it over,' said Purcell hoarsely. "'We all need a drink. I do anyway, and I've got guns there. "'We won't take any chances from now on.'" The secret agent's thoughts were racing. He could slip away into the darkness. He had lines of investigation to pursue. It would be better not to stir up the suspicions of these men now. The arson ring might try to get in touch with one of them. "'Good,' he said. "'We'll try to figure some way out.'" They walked to a lighted avenue where Purcell hailed a passing taxi, and they were driven to his apartment. It was a bachelor setup. X saw at once. No signs of anything feminine were in evidence. A bowing Japanese servant ushered them in. "'Get us some brandy, Shima,' Purcell snapped. While the yellow-skinned man hurried off for the liquor, Purcell went to a cabinet and pulled out a box. He raised the cover, displaying a dozen automatics and revolvers of various types. There were also rifles, shotguns, and shooting trophies in the cabinet. Purcell selected three automatics, snapped them open, and loaded each with a clip of shells. Then he passed the weapons around. "'Never mind if you haven't got permits. Keep these, and shoot to kill if those fiends come back.' Are there a dog by bullets then? He left the sentence unfinished, shuddered. Agent X pocketed Purcell's weapon, a sardonic gleam in his eye. The Japanese returned with glasses, a siphon of soda, and a decanter. He put them on a table. See that all the doors and windows are locked, Shima, said Purcell warningly. Don't let anybody in. And here, you better take one of these. He handed the servant a small revolver, which the yellow man took with a frightened grimace. We might have visitors. Shima nodded, and began pouring brandy in the glasses, passed one to each man, and lifted the siphon. Then suddenly he stood stock still. X saw that he was being stared at. Shima was looking not at his face, but at his hand. X did not tense or look startled, but a quick awareness of danger filled him. He held the glass of brandy in his right hand. This seemed for some reason to excite Shima. The man's eyes were bright as he pushed the siphon forward. You will take soda, Mr. Monkford? The agent nodded, and for a moment his gaze clashed with the servants. Shima's fingers were taut as claws around the siphon. He was trembling violently. When he had finished distributing the soda, he quietly left the room. Moments later returned and said, "'Shima would like to speak to you.' "'What is it, Shima?' Purcell asked. "'Shima would prefer to talk in private.' Purcell shrugged. He set his glass down and rose. He and the Japanese withdrew to another chamber. Rice looked uneasy. "'What the devil?' The agent made no comment. His pulses hammered and the skin along his neck felt tight. The inner voice warning of desperate danger was insistent. He could hear Shima's whispers faintly in the other room. Purcell returned in a moment, his lips tightly set. Holding one hand behind him, he fixed a burning gaze on the secret agent. I can't believe it, he gasped. But Shima says you aren't Monkford. Monkford's left-handed. He never holds a glass like that. What? Rice leaped to his feet, spilling his brandy. I didn't notice it myself said Purcell. But Shima, he stopped and the agent could plainly hear both men's quick breathing. You're nervous tonight, X said easily. I'm left-handed, certainly, but my right hand isn't crippled. Once in a while I change over. I bruise my left a little in that scrape. He still saw doubt in their eyes, Purcell said thickly. Of course, maybe you're right. But after what happened, I'm not taking any chances. I'm afraid to. You won't mind giving me the number of those policies you put in the safe this afternoon. You know the ones I mean. "'on the Bulkley and Sessions properties. "'You asked me not to forget them, "'and I know you never let numbers slip your mind.' "'The agent was silent, "'blood pounding like a hammer in his temples. "'He was trapped. "'Each second he remained silent, counted against him. "'He fixed his eyes on Purcell, tried bluffing. "'Get hold of yourself, Bill. "'You must be wrought up to suspect any such thing. "'Can't you see I'm Monkford?' "'The numbers,' persisted Purcell. "'Extra hand across his face.' "'All this excitement. I'm only human. I can't remember.' "'It's true, then!' screamed Purcell suddenly. "'You're an imposter! You're not Monkford, you're—' "'His right hand whipped from behind his back. He swung it toward X, "'the black automatic grip tightly in his fingers pointed straight at the agent's chest. "'Rice lifted his voice. "'He isn't Monkford! He's with those murderers! "'I thought there was something funny about that business in the car, and now I understand. "'That rescue was a put-up job! This man's a criminal!' And there's a cliffhanger in this week's episode on. So thanks for listening today. Just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.